And so I'm giving this to you tonight, the least that you can do. And um, I pray that it will really speak to your heart. I want you, church, to understand. And as long as I have breath in me, I will do this to you. I want you to be aware of the fact that Jesus Christ is coming. I want you to be alert to the reality that there is a rapture of the church and it is imminent, which means at any moment, and we are expecting Jesus Christ to come. I want to encourage you and exhort you to not fall asleep. There are many parables that Jesus gave us in regards to his coming. And in some of those parables, he is dealing with a church that is asleep. And that has to be wakened when he is returning. And I want us to be awake. I want us to be alert. I don't want us to fall asleep. And sleeping comes in many areas. It can it can come in religious habit. And you just go through the motions of what you're doing. But you've just kind of fallen asleep. And your heart's not in it. But you're just going through the motions of what you do. And I want to talk to you somewhat about that tonight. But in 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter is dealing with the coming of the Lord. And I don't have time to read all of this, so I just want to encourage you to read it tonight in 2 Peter 3. And go through the warnings that Peter gives us who are living in the last days. But he talks about the earth and the heavens being consumed with a fire. And there's going to be a renovation of the heavens and the earth. And he talks about knowing that the things are going to end this way. What manner of people ought you to be? What kind of people should we be? Knowing that of all the people, now listen to this, of all the people that have ever lived, we are the people that are most close or are closest to the actual fulfillment of the prophecies that Peter is writing about. There is no person that has ever lived like you are living in such close proximity to the reality of this happening. Now, I know when I say this, that there might be time that goes by and begins to soothe you and maybe put you back to sleep. We adjust to things. We what we call adapting to things. We adapt to life. We've adapted to gas being three dollars and seventy cents. We were struggling when it was $4.20. We were thankful when it went down to $3.70. And now we're kind of adapting to that. We're accepting that. And that's the way humans are. And I don't believe that's the way God wants us to be. But that's the way that we are. And I want you to be stirred. And I want you to be awake for the coming of the Lord. And Peter comes to the end of this. And he assures us that God is not slack concerning his promise. He is coming. A day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day with the Lord. And so the time is drawing close. He says in verse 11, what manner of people ought you to be, knowing that the end of the world will happen, and you possibly could be the people that witness that. And so we're looking and we're hastening the coming of the Lord, is what the Bible says. And we're looking for a new heaven and a new earth. And I want you to notice this. He makes a comment about the Apostle Paul. And when he makes this comment about Paul, he says something that Paul teaches and preaches in a way that is very deep. It's hard to grasp Paul. Peter's even saying that. But I want you to listen because this is the context of what he's talking about. And so he says in verse 16, as also in all his epistles, speaking to them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, 
which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. You therefore, beloved, see and you know these things before, beware lest you also being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. And that is just something I want to pull out of this text right now, as I exhort you to the coming of the Lord, beloved, do not fall from your own steadfastness. I just want that to stand out to you. Now, I believe the primary intent of Peter writing this has to do with what Paul taught and the brutal attack that came against Paul's teachings by the lawyers and the Pharisees and the Sadducees that were trying to bring the people out of grace and back under the law. And I believe that Peter is referring directly to that. And as you see the end of the world coming and the coming of Jesus Christ, be careful that you do not try to purify yourself to be holy, but you trust in the righteousness of God, which is by faith. Don't fall from that steadfastness. Don't fall from that truth, which is going to be grossly attacked in the last days. But what stands out to me as well is just the steadfastness of our life. And that we as Christians should live a life that is enduring. We should live a life that is full of purpose. And that has the power of the Holy Spirit just actually working through us. As I come to this tonight, the least that you can do, I pray that it will stand out to you. That there is an attack upon you as as a Christian to not be steadfast. There is an attack upon you to be distracted. There is an attack upon your life. That you are not completely devoted to the task of Jesus Christ. And you can continue on with your religion. And you can continue on with your motions. But maybe you end up missing everything that God had for you. And the Lord doesn't want you to miss that. So don't lest you also be distracted and you fall from your own steadfastness. Jesus had to warn the churches in Revelation about this. He had to deal with them, and there was five of them that he brought a severe rebuke against. And the first church that Jesus looked at was the church at Ephesus. And it was a church that was very strong in the Bible. It was very strong in the Word, very strong in doctrine. It was a church that tested everything to make sure what was right and what was wrong. But there was a rebuke that Jesus brought against this church, and it wasn't against the truth that they had. But it was against the fact that they had fallen from their first love. And Jesus said that it is very important that you repent and you restore this in your life. Or I will come and I will remove you from that. And so I I want to say that maybe to us tonight. That maybe we are so careful of what we believe. We're so careful of what we hear. And maybe we have an attitude that we take pride in how we are right And we are not wrong, but maybe we've grown calloused to the real cares of God and humanity that is all around us. It it disturbs me. And and when I'm traveling and I'm out of the city and I'm getting texts on my phone that are just news alerts about another murder. Um, Somebody was thrown from a truck today and, and was killed. You know, it's just every day there's this tragedy 
There's this crime. There is this violence. Men are full of rage and full of anger and full of hate and drug abuse, substance abuse, all types of abuses that go on in their life. And it doesn't seem as though there's an answer that's being provided But I would imagine there's a church on every street corner in Baton Rouge priding itself that it has the answer. Priding itself that it's right and it has correct doctrine. But where is the love? And so, beloved, I just want to exhort you to be steadfast. To be steadfast in all of the truth and not just the fact that you are right in your doctrine but in your manner of life. And so in 1 Peter, just going back one book, if you will, in 1 Peter chapter 4, I wanted this to stand out because it talks about not falling from your own steadfastness in 2 Peter. So in 1 Peter 4, he tells us this, and and I'm, I'm going to just kind of begin here about the last days again. He says in verse 7, But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. And above all things, have fervent love or charity among yourselves. For charity shall cover the multitude of sins. I really want you to pay attention to this. Because I, I'm, I am not making this up when I tell you that I woke up at 4.30 in the morning hearing this in my spirit. And I am very grateful that God the Holy Ghost would, would get my attention to get our attention to let us really know I am coming back. And I want you to be steadfast. And I want you to know what's important. And I want you to know what I want you to be doing when I do return. And so that's what this is about. So the end of everything is at hand. We're to be fervent. We're to have love among ourselves. Love shall cover a multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. As every man, and this is what I want to stand out, as every man has received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Beloved, I'm going to tell you something. Listen to me carefully. That's what's going to change Baton Rouge. Baton Rouge is not going to be delivered from the pulpits in Baton Rouge. It's going to be delivered from spirit-filled believers in Baton Rouge. That, that, that is going to be the power that walks our streets. Not what is said here tonight in this pulpit. And not what is said in the pulpits across our city tonight that are meeting. Nothing is going to change tonight or Thursday because preachers stood in pulpits and preached messages that were from God in the power of the Holy Spirit. It is not going to change unless we go forth in our gifts and see God work through our life to bring a change in our city. And we cannot fall from this steadfastness that God is calling us to. We should use hospitality. We should be great lovers of one another. Love that covers a multitude of sin. We should pray and we should be sober. And he says we should use our gifts as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Verse 11, which I think is interesting. He says, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God gives That God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. 
Now he goes into the trials, and we've talked about this over the last few weeks, so I'm just going to stop here and not go into the trial part. But I want you to see verse 11, and it talks about you are to minister in the power of God. You are to do that. I am to do that. And so you're to minister in the power of God, and that simply means, listen, you need to know what you're anointed to do. You need to know what your gifting is. Because if you just do work for the church, you're going to burn out and you're going to get tired because the church cannot replenish your strength. The church cannot refresh you. And if you're just laboring for the church, then you're going to labor in such a way that you grow frustrated, you grow tired. Maybe you get overlooked and you get some bitterness inside of you. And you get to the place where you just say, they've worked me to death and I just can't do anymore. I have been going at this for 37 years. I'm doing more now than I've ever done. I'm getting myself into more in spite of what I'm already doing. Because I am moved by what I believe is the power of God working in my life. And the opportunities and the doors that God is opening for us and extending to us. Takes and requires for me and for Carla and for intercessors to pray. And to be able to understand what is God asking of us and what does God want us to do. Because whatever God asks us to do, if we do it in the power that God gives, we do not get tired there is, a, there is a constant supply of strength and refreshing that goes on in the human body that could not possibly tolerate what God is requiring it to do. But when you're doing that in the power of God, there is a continual supply, a continual refreshing. So I want to go back to verse 11. I want you to see this again. And he says this, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God gives. And that's exactly what I've been talking about. God gives the ability. And I want you to see that word giveth. The ability which God giveth. It doesn't say by the ability which God gave you. It's not like God had this encounter with your life four or five years ago. And he gave you a calling and he gave you a gift. And now you're supposed to go and operate in that calling or operate in that gift. This is actually something that is going on in your life. And as you are exercising your gift, God is giving more to you. And the reason there are Christians that are dry, that are empty, that are not exercising their gift in the power of God and the call of God is perhaps they have stopped giving it out through the manifold grace of God. And when you stop giving it out or God can't get it through you, God is not a bad steward or manager of his gifts. If you're not going to use it, I'll give it to somebody else. And I'll use it through somebody else. And whenever that somebody else just lets it go through them. Just lets it go through them. And it just pours out through their life. What does God do? He gives. And so he's given and you're given. And he's given and you're given. And it is a river flowing through your life. And you're living in a supernatural purpose. And a supernatural power. Doing things through your life that only God could do. And, and that is an exciting life to live in. 
And I want to encourage you to live in that life and not just in the, the boredom of Christianity. Because Christianity is pretty boring and it's not Christianity's fault. It's just our fault maybe for being ignorant of how God wants to operate through our life. Now, you can also be doing things just because you want to do it. And you're not really operating in the gift or the calling of God. And that can wear you out as well. But when you're doing what God wants you to do, and you're doing it in the power of God, through the gift of God, God gives you a continual resource of supply and strength and refreshment in your life. And you just keep going. Better than the Energizer Bunny. You just keep on going. And God keeps on strengthening. And God keeps on using your life. And there's no time for boring Christianity. I just don't have time for that. I remember Jeff and I sitting with Brother Clendenin in Peru. Jeff had just been saved maybe a month. And he's, we're at dinner and Jeff's preaching to Brother Clendenin about depression. You know, and boredom and everything else. Clendenin, you know, he's just this apostle of you know, rare one in a million kind of men that walk the face of the earth. He's preaching to him about depression for a long time. He was very gracious to let you go on like you did. And, um, and Brother Clinton says, son, I'm going to stop you right there. And he said, I'll just let you know, God taught me a long time ago. I give it 15 minutes a month and then I'm done with depression. I don't have time to be depressed. There's too much that God's doing in my life. And so th- there is a point to that, and there's a truth to that. And our life for Jesus Christ should be very, very exciting. And so I want you to know that if in the relationship with God and His grace, if you're giving, then God is continually giving back to you. And there is a fullness in your life. There's a strength in your life. And so I want you to see that ministry is, our life in ministry is a lifestyle. It is the lifestyle where we are seeking to enrich the faith and the grace that is needs to be in other believers. And that lifestyle is so rich that you enjoy living and you're not afraid of dying. You're not afraid of the rapture of the church. You're not afraid of Jesus coming back. You're not saying, oh God, wait, wait a minute. I, there's, there's, there's just more that I've got to know. You're just excited about the life. Because you have been serving God in the power of God and in the power of God's spirit. And you're not afraid. You're not afraid to live it. You're not afraid to die. And when Jesus was here, and I just kind of want to want to move into this. And let me make this statement to you that I heard this statement as well this morning. And it was it was this statement that God said to me. You will not expose your gift to God's service if you do not expose yourself to the needs of humanity. And oftentimes we protect ourselves from that. I've got enough problems of my own. I don't need to be bothered with your problems. And because we don't allow ourselves to be exposed to other people's needs, we like to look away from the homeless person on the street. And because we do these things or the person that's crying out for help and we don't want to be bothered or troubled with that, then we oftentimes do not exercise our gifts because there's just no reason to exercise it. If all you are around is happy, healthy people, well, who needs anything? They're happy and healthy, you know, but it's the needs of people's lives. And you you put yourself into those needs of humanity. Jesus did. He was moved with compassion by the needs of the people. He exposed himself to their needs and he saw them. And when he saw those needs, his compassions were stirred in him. And that is how the gifts operate in your life. There's a compassion that comes in you. And it moves you and it stirs you. And it says, how can you sit there 
And not pray for Shannon or not pray for Rose or not pray for Billy or not pray for... How can you just sit there and be callous as a child of God? And, and really what I'm about to share with you, I believe is part of the steadfastness of our life when it comes to the return of Jesus Christ. And Jesus talks about a faithful servant in Matthew 24. And he says, you know, that servant that believes that Jesus Christ could come back at any moment, like a thief in the night, he's going to come. That servant is very diligent to serve and honor his master. But if that servant says, my Lord delays his coming, then that is an unprofitable servant. And what he begins to do is he abuses the people. And he begins to live in riotous living and careless living. And in a moment when he's not expecting, as a thief in the night, the Lord will come for that unprofitable servant. And the Lord will cast him out. And Jesus said in another parable about the return of the Lord and the end of the world. He said, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was a stranger, you took me in. When I was in prison, you visited me. When I was sick, you cared for me. And the people responded to Jesus and said, when did we ever see you like this? And Jesus said, when you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. And to me, that's the motivation of, of life. Why do you do this for people? It's for him. It's for Jesus. When you do it for the least of these, my brethren, you do it for me. And it's not the fact that you have to minister to great people to be great. You just have to minister to somebody. Because you see it in the fact that when I'm doing this, I'm doing it for Jesus. And I'm doing it as unto him. And so that's why I'm going to the prison. And that's why I'm visiting the sick. And that's why I'm ministering to the needy. And that's why I'm feeding the hungry. And that's why I'm giving the thirsty something to drink. Isn't it interesting that in the accounts of Jesus coming back at the end of the world, he is most concerned with how you are treating other people. Isn't that interesting? Because how can you say you love God whom you haven't seen if the suffering that is all around you does not even bother you? Because you've grown used to it and you've adapted yourself to it. Jesus could never get used to it. And he lives in your heart. So how can your heart, how can my heart get used to it? But we're not Jesus. And we can fall from our own steadfastness. So what do I have to do? I have to be aware of that. And I have to live in the gifts that God has given me to live in. And I have to put myself in the place where humanity is in a crisis. And I should not live to avoid that. And I should not be concerned about what is best for me and what is most comfortable for me. But I should live in such a manner, where can I expose myself to the needs of other people so that the gifts of God that are inside of my life can have an opportunity to come out? Because if I'm giving, he's going to constantly give to me. And I don't want to dry up and wither away and comfort my Christianity by patting myself on the back that I believe in correct doctrine. But it hasn't affected my, me in the way that I care for those that are suffering and those that are hurting. And just quickly as we can go into this, I want you to read this in 1 Corinthians 16 with me. And I just pray this will really speak to you guys because 
We have to care for Jesus enough that we're going to the prisons to take care of him. We're going to the hospitals to take care of him. We're feeding the hungry to take care of him. We're giving the thirsty something to drink to take care of Jesus. And you know what Jesus said when the washing of the feet? Because he was serving, right? What did he say? If you know what I've done and you do it, then your joy will be great. You know why a lot of Christians are not happy? They're not serving. They're doing ministry, but they're not serving. They're active, but they're not serving. And it is the serving that brings humility in our life to benefit other people. That really brings joy into our heart. And that's a secret the devil doesn't want you to know. The devil wants you to live the rest of your life. Well, when God fixes me, I'll help other people. The fix is helping other people. That's what it is. So in 1 Corinthians 16, I love this. A few years ago, I preached several messages on this. But I I want to read this in verse... um, Well, let's just start in verse 13. It says, watch ye stand fast in the faith. Quit you like men. Be strong. Let all your things be done with love. I beseech you, brethren. You know the house of Stephanus. That it is the first fruits of Achaia. And that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. And I love that. Here's a whole family that addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. Not needs, not opportunities to to do something, but they addicted themselves to the saints because they love Jesus. And if I can do something for the saints, I'm doing something for Jesus and his body. And I'm not saying you're not doing things. I just want to encourage you to be steadfast. And make sure that you're doing it in the power of God according to the grace that he gives you. So you're not burned out and you're not worn out. They addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. And he says that you submit yourselves to such. Those are the kind of people you need to submit to. And to everyone that helps with us and labors. For I am glad of the coming of Stephanus and The other people for that which was lacking on your part, they have supplied. Okay, so so he's he's telling the Corinthians. Basically, in a very nice way, you failed to keep your end of a promise. And you're lacking. But they are filling up your lack. They these this family got involved in Paul's life and understood his ministry and the ministry to the saints, and they saw where something was lacking. And they immediately took it upon themselves to fill it up. So not you and not me, but for Jesus' sake, what's lacking In his church. What's lacking in his saints. Do you know? Do you see? Do you care to know? Do you care to see? Because I would imagine. 
every person that's in this room represents a need. And a need represents a lack. And God promises to meet all of our needs according to his riches and glory through Jesus Christ our Lord. And God has deposited those resources that supply the needs inside of you. And they are called gifts of the Holy Spirit. So are we, are, are we, are we willing to put ourselves into the crisis of humanity that's in our own church? And recognize where people have needs. Like I've told you before. You ought to keep a note of what are the needs of the people. And when you come to church, you ought to come to church with your notepad open. Understanding this is who we're praying for. This is who's looking for a job. This is who's sick. This is who's dealing with chronic illness. These are caretakers in our church that maybe are worn out. And I'm coming to church and I am aware of the needs in people's lives. And I'm going to enter into the crisis of their life. And I'm going to pray, God, somehow, I don't even know, I don't even know that you, I don't have to know that you did it. I'm just going to put myself into the midst of their life and let your gifts come out of me. Just let them come out of me. But we don't even know what the needs are because we don't remember. We forget. We don't even know those things. So we have to write them down. We have to do something to remind ourselves of what they are. And that's what Stephanus and them did in his house. They looked for the needs in Paul's life and they took it upon themselves to fulfill that. And then Paul said they refreshed me. They weren't a drain on me. They were so pleasant to have around. They were uplifting. They were good. They weren't negative people. This was a beautiful thing that Paul had in, in his life as a, re, as a result of them. And they refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore, acknowledge ye them that are such. Acknowledge people like this. These are the... And you, you guys don't even know who these people are. And neither do I. We know Paul, we know John, we know Mark, we know Timothy, we know Peter. We know all of these great people in the Bible. But Paul is like saying, these guys, people like this, that's your church. I mean, that's your church. Acknowledge people like that. Submit to people like that. Because they're not common I encourage you to be like that, especially if you know the coming of the Lord is at hand. So I love this word addicted. They addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. And I thought this was interesting. I didn't do this a few years ago, but I, I was led to look up the word addiction. And I came across some very interesting things. If you would like to do this. Now, I'm not talking about drug addiction and so forth. I'm talking about Jesus addiction. And very few people are. So if, if you want to have this addiction in your life. Addiction is defined as a chronic relapsing disorder. Characterized by compulsive drug seeking. Continued use despite harmful consequences. And long lasting changes in the brain. And so that's a, that's a definition of addiction. And so I thought about that, and I thought about, yeah, that's the way we should be as Christians. We should be compulsively seeking to serve the least in an effort to serve Jesus, 
And a watching world will think you have a disorder. If you really live that way. To serve Jesus and the least of people despite harmful consequences. Your lost family members would begin intervention for you. That this would be long lasting and it would change the way I think about life. Addicted people do not care what the cost of gas is. I just got to get to the next crack house. Gas is $5 a gallon. I don't care. I got to get to the crack house. But church people, gas is $4. I don't know if I can go to church. Oh, I don't know if I can do that. You know, we're not addicted. You know, it's, it's, it's just the way that it, it seems to be. Addicted people do not seek comfort or sleep. They just seek their next high. And it doesn't mean they don't sleep. It doesn't mean they may not have moments of comfort. And that should be us. That the most important thing in my life is the will of God, Jesus Christ. And that's more important than my comfort or my sleep. Addiction develops when the urge to take a substance hijacks parts of the brain that reward behavior and provides benefits for the body. Substance-related disorders also impact the area of the brain responsible for emotions and decision-making. And I said, yep, I'd like to be addicted to Jesus like that. To allow a foreign substance to hijack the parts of my brain that reward behavior and provide benefit for the body. I want that foreign substance to be the Holy Ghost. This substance will impact me in the part of my brain that affects my emotions and decision making. I want that addiction of the Holy Spirit. What happens when you get addicted? People with addiction lose control over their actions. They crave and seek out substances no matter what the cost, even at the risk of damaging friendships, hurting family, or losing jobs. I think the world needs to see some people addicted to Jesus. That nothing is more important than him. Nothing at all. And so when, as, if, if you will, as I close this message tonight about the least that you can do. The least that you can do. And I pray and I want to encourage you. You know, Jesus said things like this. He said, I'll tell you something you can do. Make a feast. Make a feast. Make a, make a really big dinner and then go get the cripple and the lame and the confused and the destitute. And you get them to eat the feast that you made because they cannot repay you. And you serve them. We like to Involve ourselves in the cases that most suit me, look most like me, and that I can figure out the length of time this is going to involve my commitment if I'm willing to make that. People that suffer from addictions don't even think that way. It's just from one to the next. And so I just say to you tonight, 
that's what Jesus said to do. There's a way that you should be living for your future. Let me read this to you really quick in 1 Timothy 3. And, and, and this is an encouragement to, to women. There's a way that you should be living. And it says in 1 Timothy um, chapter 5, if you will, it says in verse 10 or verse 9, it says, Let not a widow be taken into the number under threescore years old, having been the wife of one man. Now, if you're going to take her into the number as a widow who's going to be supported by the church, she has to have a good report for good works. If she's brought up children, if she has lodged strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has relieved the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work. But the younger widows refuse them. For when they have begun to wax wanton against Christ, they will marry, having damnation because they have cast off their first love. And with all they learn to idle, wandering from house to house, and, and not only idle, but tattlers also in busybodies, speaking things which they ought not. This is the point. This is the point that Paul is telling Timothy. And, and, and it's in this regard. Young ladies, young mothers, young wives, there's a future before you. And you don't know exactly how that future is going to turn out. And so Paul is saying this, listen, if we're going to bring widows into the church to take care of them and be responsible for them, you don't just do that for anybody. No, he gives he gives an instruction. These are ladies that have been devoted to the service of God. They have washed the feet of saints. They have lodged people in their homes. They have a history of good works. They are dedicated to Jesus Christ. It's not just anybody, but it's that devotion of life. And another thing that I think about in the church is when the apostles were thrown into prison and like Peter was miraculously let out of prison, he knew the church was meeting in a prayer meeting. He went to the house where the prayer meeting was being held. The church was active. The church was about the business of God. And so I just say to you tonight as I'm closing, I say to you this with all of my heart, allow the Holy Spirit to make you addicted to Jesus Christ. Because I believe apart from him, we will fall from our own steadfastness. And apart from him, we will find a job to do in the church that we will grow frustrated with. We will get tired of. We want to quit it every day. But yet we want to do it every day because people are dependent on me. And I really don't enjoy this. And I really don't like that. And I wish this. And I wish that. And all to God that we would just be people who say, God has given me a gift. And God has given me power. And God has given me an opportunity to serve him in the body of Christ. What an honor. What an honor that is of my life. And if if I'm not sure what my gift is, then expose me to the needs of humans so that in the exposure of that need, something will stir up in me and perhaps the gifts of God will begin to come out of my life. And as they come out of my life, God's going to give me more. And this is the excitement and the thrill of Christian living. And I tell you, Jesus is about to come back. So wake up and be ready and be alert and be steadfast to the very end. Use hospitality and love one another sincerely. And let your love cover a multitude of sins and care for each other and exercise your gifts. And let Jesus Christ walk the streets of Baton Rouge because our pulpits tonight are not going to make any difference on our streets tomorrow. But Christians who are full of the Holy Ghost tonight will make a difference tomorrow in this world. I pray to God we do it. So I just want you to stand with me, if you will, and. I just thank you for taking this time with me tonight to listen to this. 
really burdened for this in my own life. I just want so much. I, I stood before the church Sunday night in Mississippi and I said, y'all pray for me. I said, I'm just so disturbed. I think it's a holy discontent. I'm longing so much for God to do so much more. And I just want to serve the Lord in gifts. So I invite you to come. And listen, guys, don't, don't just come tonight or just have a moment of responding. But let's be involved. Karen's here tonight. I mean, just consider her situation. Her mama's got cancer. Her, Paul just had surgery this week. And Paul's mama has lung cancer and is given just a matter maybe of weeks to live. There she is tonight. There's needs in her life. Shannon's starting her chemo tomorrow. And to pray for her. She's beginning her first round. And to pray for caregivers. God only knows how tired they might be. Bete was telling me she has some trouble with her ear tonight, an infection. And just to be able to know and to be able to pray for one another, pray for Ross and his family and just to pray for people, pray for people's work, pray for people's lives, to love one another sincerely and not be a spectator, but a participator, active. You'll never know what your gifts are if you always live in the shelter of your safety and your comfort. But if you're willing to get out of that comfort and just step into where the needs are, you'll be surprised at what God will do. A young man, Drake, a few weeks ago, said, I have a word of knowledge. And he said, there's, there's some women here that are having trouble getting pregnant and they want to have children. Hey, guys, what would have happened had Drake not done that? Because both of those women got pregnant and they're both expecting on the same due date. And what would have happened? Drake was so nervous. He was so nervous to do that. It wasn't a comfort for him to do that. But he believed it was God. What is in you? What gift is in you that's going to set somebody free tonight? It's going to deliver somebody tonight. Jesus is coming. We don't have time to be passive Christians. And who wants to be anyway? I want to get in the game. Serve the Lord. See the power of God. So let's pray tonight. Move around the church tonight. Pray for one another tonight. Minister to one another tonight. If you know of needs in people's lives.